0: Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to Osh's big anniversary sale celebration May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at
1: Osh.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. Hey QED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious.
0: That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.
2: From KQED.
0: It's the California Report magazine. I'm Sasha Coca, And this week on our show, the struggle to solve a problem many cities are facing in our state, the crisis of homelessness.
3: I was told I don't look homeless and I said I
1: try not to. You know, what does a homeless look like? It's really hard. Really, really, really,
3: really scary hard. I'll wake up in the middle of the night just, it'll freak me out. Well, for the first few years, we would lay down on the bus bench and sleep as though it was a bed. They put these little bars up so that you couldn't stretch out. So I learned how to sleep sitting up.
0: Today on the show, we're going to share a new podcast with you from our friends at LAist Studios. It's called Imperfect Paradise, and it tells stories about how California, with a reputation as a sunny haven for artists, dreamers, and progressive politics, doesn't always live up to that promise. Each of the stories in the podcast is told in three parts, and the show launched earlier this month with a first series about how we get people who are unhoused into stable housing. The problem isn't always finding land or money. It's convincing the neighbors.
1: I don't want 80 people that need security and mental health services living this close to my neighborhood.
4: We have enough going on with the homeless that are leaving their needles, their drugs, their messes. We are not gonna stand by and watch you ruin our neighborhood more and let this come in. We will sue you if something does not happen to make this. will not happen.
0: Reporter Jill Replogle from KPCC reported this series called Home is Life, and today we're going to devote our whole show to the second episode of the series. But first, Jill's going to join us to introduce us to the story. Hey there, Jill. Hello. Thanks for having me. The first episode starts with a pretty upsetting story. It's about the death of a man who was unhoused back in 2011 in Fullerton in Orange County. Tell us what happened to Kelly Thomas. Kelly Thomas.
4: Kelly Thomas had been uh, unhoused in Fullerton for a number of years. Uh, he was pretty well known by a lot of the businesses in downtown Fullerton. He had been diagnosed with schizophrenia and had kind of been in and out of treatment, but was uh, estranged from his family and and had been living on the streets there. One night, one of the bar managers uh, in this kind of business trip downtown called the police because they saw Kelly in the parking lot and said that he was looking in car windows. So a couple police officers came out, confronted Kelly. The interaction between Kelly and the officers was caught on a security camera nearby, and it was synced up with audio from the officers' personal worn devices. The audio is is pretty disturbing. Kelly apologizes repeatedly. Then he starts saying over and over that he can't
1: breathe.
4: In the end, Kelly had four, and I think maybe at one point, five officers on top of him. Kelly was brutally beaten. He was taken to the hospital. He died five days later. He had no drugs or alcohol in his system, he was unarmed. And one of the things that this incident really illustrated is the dangers of living on the street, Um, even in a suburban community like Orange County, like Fullerton. And obviously, it's not just interactions with the police, but unhoused people die of untreated addictions. They die of hypothermia. um, They die of violence that they face with other people living on the streets and and sometimes vigilantes. And one thing that stood out to me that is, is pretty crazy is that Proportional to the size of Orange County's homeless population, which is much smaller than neighboring Los Angeles, it is more dangerous to be homeless in Orange County than it is in L.A. The number of people who die on the streets of Orange County compared to the size of its homeless population is twice as high as it is in Los Angeles. That's
0: really surprising to me, but I guess there are fewer services for unhoused people outside of big cities. There is one advocate in Fullerton, though, who looked at Kelly Thomas's death and the dangers to other unhoused people in the community and said, we can
4: fix this. Tell us about David. So David Glanders runs an organization called Pathways of Hope. Uh, it's been around in Fullerton for a very long time, and um, it works to end homelessness and hunger. But... You know, what David saw is that his organization and lots of organizations that work on homelessness churches, um, all the people that give out food to the homeless, a lot of those sort of small things that people do to sort of help unhoused people get through their day, they don't actually solve homelessness. It's kind of just putting a Band-Aid on things.
3: Yes. Handing out toys to families matters. Yes. Everyone's got to eat. But it's literally homelessness. It's not souplessness. You know what I mean? It's not closelessness. It's not showerlessness. It's homelessness. Demonstrate for me how homelessness is ended with anything other than a set of keys, a lease, and a place to call home.
4: So David pitches this idea of something called permanent supportive
0: housing. Tell
4: us what that is. Permanent supportive housing is essentially an apartment, but it also comes with on-site support services. So that could be um, counseling. It could be job training. Uh, It it, it comes in a lot of different forms, uh, sort of depending on what the people in that housing complex need. But the idea is to help people stay housed. And, you know, cities all over Orange County were sort of being pressured to build more of this housing. So David approached city officials. He pitched the idea. Hey, we want to do this. We want to build uh, 60 to 80 units of permanent supportive housing. And um, the city seemed interested at first. And they found a lot. And they drew up what's called an exclusive negotiating agreement. That's usually the first step in starting to negotiate what a project would look like. And as soon as it had to go to city council for a vote, that's when the community found out, the neighbors, and started to really push back hard. Frankly, it's dead in the water unless the neighbors are at least lukewarm supportive. And right now there's not a lukewarm support there.
0: And that's where the second episode of Imperfect Paradise picks up. In a neighborhood in Fullerton, people call the Kimmy's Coffee Cup neighborhood because of the local coffee shop there. Here's Jill with the story.
4: There's this YouTube channel called Fullerton Homeless. It's run by a woman named Katherine Reese. It has 2,000 subscribers, and she started it right after David Galander's and Pathways of Hope proposed building permanent supportive housing right near the Kimmy's Coffee Cup neighborhood. Kat, that's what Katherine Reese likes to be called, was posting stuff almost daily. Videos of her interviews with people she presumes to be homeless.
1: I'm recording you. You know people hate people going through their trash.
4: This video looks like it's taken on a phone from the other side of a residential street. It shows a woman in sunglasses and a baseball hat in front of what looks like a condo complex. She's fishing bottles and cans out of a dumpster and placing them in a bicycle trailer. Are you homeless? People
1: hate you going through their trash. You know, you can go get assistance. You're homeless?
4: And there's a lot of assistance everywhere. You know that, right? Okay, the woman says. Then she turns away and puts another bottle in the trailer. Kat keeps the camera focused. She's not moving. An awkward 20 seconds pass. Get out of the trash. This time, the woman just ignores her. Kat keeps filming.
1: This is why we work so hard to run you out of our city.
4: The woman glances at Kat for a second, then turns away. She picks some trash off the ground and puts it back in the dumpster. Disgusting calling the cops. When it comes to battles over how to address homelessness, I've found that there are three types of people. There are the cats, people who just want unhoused people to go away, maybe to jail, maybe to the desert. The idea of banishing people on the streets to some sort of desert camp actually gets brought up a lot by people in this group. On the other side, there are the yes-in-my-backyard people, the vocal supporters. And then there are the folks in the middle, the people who either are too busy to know much about it, or maybe they're skeptical but open-minded. This middle group is the one David needed to court to move the project forward. The other two camps had already made up their minds. So who were these middle of the roaders, and could David persuade them to join his side over cats? If there's one woman I figured David needed to win over, it was Stephanie Bromley. Stephanie founded the main Facebook group for the Kimmy's Coffee Cup neighborhood back in 2014. It's the place where everyone posts announcements about yard sales and pictures of kittens up for adoption. It's also where people complain about crime and homelessness in the neighborhood and discuss what the city should do about it. Stephanie spoke against David's plan at the city council meeting. But she also invited David to join the neighborhood Facebook group so he could have a dialogue with the neighbors. Not long after that first city council meeting in June 2018, I asked her to show me around her neighborhood so I could better understand what her concerns were. We meet at Adelina Park around the corner from her house. Hi. Stephanie is petite. She has long brown hair tied back in a ponytail. T-shirt, jeans. My first impression, classic soccer mom kind who brings oranges and cheers from the sidelines. Anyway, Atlanta Park is smallish. There's a basketball court, a baseball diamond, a splash pad. Stephanie says there are usually people sleeping under the trees here, but not on the day we meet. It's the middle of July, and Stephanie says they're probably at the library where there's air conditioning.
3: This is like the hub of you know, where they end up sleeping and washing their clothes in the bathrooms. People find, like, hypodermic needles around here, and you can see there's, like, a children's spray pool.
4: We get in her car and drive past single-story homes with one-car garages and square-front lawns. Stephanie points out the strip of small businesses across the street from where David wants to build permanent supportive housing.
3: There's a learning center right here, a school right here. And there's Kimmy's coffee cup. Good breakfast and lunch.
4: Kimmy's is one of the only places to eat nearby, and it looms large in the locals' idea of what they want their suburban neighborhood to be. Quiet, middle-class, just a couple of small local businesses. Everybody knows
3: each other. I know all my neighbors on the street. When I first moved in, we had emergency contacts given out right away, and everybody knows when somebody's going on vacation, and we all kind of keep an eye on each other's house. Today happens to be trash day, so I've already had, you know, the local homeless people coming through the trash can to empty out my recycles. And I just kind of expect that. So, which it doesn't bother me too much as long as you're not leaving a a huge mess.
4: Unlike Kat, whose YouTube videos we heard earlier, Stephanie apparently doesn't call the cops on people going through her trash. It's one of the reasons why I think David might have a chance with her. That, and she tells me she hands out McDonald's gift cards to people asking for money at the supermarket. But to be clear, Stephanie is not okay with the idea of housing formerly unhoused people so close to her neighborhood. There's already a wintertime shelter nearby and a church that lets people sleep in the parking lot. She feels, as she put it, overburdened. Stephanie also worries that the people living in David's proposed building will have drug problems, that some might have spent time in prison. She worries that the housing will attract people living on the streets in other places. And then, as she puts it, they'll become our problem.
3: It's frightening to us, it is, because we don't know what to expect. And it's not just about home values or anything like that. We're really wondering about our safety and security. And, I mean, I just don't know. I don't know what to expect. In order to combat this
4: not knowing what to expect, a city council member who supports David's project has organized a tour. It's of permanent supportive housing that already exists elsewhere in Orange County. The idea is for Stephanie and other neighbors to see for themselves what David plans to build, get their questions answered, and maybe be less frightened.
2: I, I don't know the addresses offhand, but I've got the address. I just going to gonna part, so plug
3: it into my
4: In mid-July 2018, I meet up with Stephanie, the city councilman, and a small group of neighbors, mostly middle-aged women, in front of City Hall for the tour. These women seem like just the middle-of-the-road neighbors that David needed to convince— Except maybe a couple people, including Kat, the YouTuber. She's there, too. And she announces right off the bat that she plans to record everything.
1: Just know that I record everything, so I'm going to record this, okay?
4: okay? One person who isn't here? David Galanders, the man with the housing plan. A woman named Sherry Carter, who is also on the tour, had said she'd boycott it if David was coming. She just didn't trust him. We load up into our cars and a city van and head off to visit three different apartment complexes. All of them provide permanent supportive housing to people who were formerly unhoused. I had been looking forward to this tour because I've never actually seen what permanent supportive housing looked like. What I'd heard is that experts and the federal government think it's the best way to get people who have been chronically homeless off the streets. And one of the theories behind permanent supportive housing is this thing called Housing First— The idea is that it's easier to give someone a home first and then work on treating the problems that may have contributed to their homelessness, like addiction and mental illness. Our first stop is the Rockwood Apartments in Anaheim. It's a three-story, modern building, palm trees line the front. The interior courtyard has a shaded playground surrounded by private patios. It's nice.
2: All the kids, families, room, chariotops. Out, we pass out popcorn and do movie nights out here. Maybe I'll make a friend.
4: The tenants are a mix of low-income and formerly unhoused families and individuals living with mental illness. A woman named Danielle Ball is here to answer questions. She's since gotten married and changed her name. Danielle's job is to help the people who live at Rockwood get the help they need so they can stay in their apartments.
2: And then here on site we have Ocapica. They offer therapy and on-site services. Orange County Healthcare Agency here is here as well, um, offering therapy on site. Then we have Western Youth Services that's offering family therapy on site.
4: Um, one of the first questions from the neighbors comes from Sherry Carter. She's the one who threatened to boycott the tour if David came. Her question, do tenants have to pay rent? Yes, Danielle says, 30% of their income, which could come from employment or it could come from something like disability insurance. And that piece of information sets Sherry off.
2: They get Social Security disability because they have have a qualifying factor. Drug addiction, alcoholism.
4: This is not true, by the way. Having a drug or alcohol addiction does not qualify you for federal disability benefits.
2: That's those kind of people. I don't consider that paying rent. They're getting that um, from the government because of their qualifying factor. That's not rent. Those people aren't required to work. Let's not confuse that. They will not be required to work.
4: Then Kat jumps in.
1: Can I
4: get this kind of assistance and not have to work? See,
2: that's a serious question. Hang on, I'm very serious
1: right now. If you're homeless, if you go
2: live on the street for a year, stop working. If you decided you don't want your house, you don't want your car, you don't want any single asset that you own and sell everything and go out on the street and lose it all, have a mental health, which after being on the street, most likely you will get a mental health diagnosis because it's pretty bad out there, then you could qualify 100%.
4: The other neighbors also have questions about substance use.
2: Um, are there any restrictions on uh, alcohol or drug use here? No. Um, if we see it in the community and it's causing a problem and at least violation, then yes, they would get written up. We don't go in and do checks for alcohol. We don't go in and do
3: checks for drugs. If, however, Stephanie Bromley,
4: the one who runs the community Facebook page, chimes in.
3: If you like say what happens behind closed doors, if we don't know about it, then kind of that's okay. So. No. It's, um, I mean, if somebody's in there using heroin and nobody's complaining about it. Yeah, you I mean, said that, you said that if, we it, if we don't see it, if we don't see it. We can't
2: give a lease violation. If we're not seeing it and if, they're, if we're going in and they're not telling us they're using, I'm not going to go looking in their drawers and looking through their whole entire house for heroin. You couldn't kick anyone out of any sort of housing if there's suspected drug use. If people are seeing it and they're doing things to violate their lease, it's all about violating your lease, then they're going to get out of here.
4: By the way, Danielle says, drug use is not actually a big problem here. But the neighbors seem really worked up. And I didn't know this at the time, but what I learned later is that many of them had listened to Kat's latest recording right before coming. This time, Kat recorded two Pathways of Hope employees as they were handing out flyers for a series of meetings that David was planning. The recording turns out to be a bombshell.
1: Uh, Somebody said you came by my house and I was just... uh, What's that?
0: About no. So,
4: we know. They say fair that fair you purpose. and your neighbors want people Something off the streets. Really we have a plan it. for that. Walmart. We want to tell you about it.
1: So the people that we see wandering around are going to live there. Would go
0: live there permanently, forever. Some of those
1: people have uh, past records of rape, mm-hmm. uh, murder, pedophilia, drug addiction. Mm-hmm. Sex offenders would absolutely not be authorized to live. Then in what are we going to do with them? They're going to stay on our streets.
3: That would be a question for the Fullerton PD, and we'd need to work with them uh, on that. But that's not we know that's not every single person that's out and about. And,
4: and here comes three, what many uh, of the neighbors would later consider the smoking gun.
1: So they're locked in there permanently. They don't. They're in there 24 hours a day. They're not locked in, but they have their own space to be in. So to be perfectly frank, if someone's going to shoot up, we want them to do that in their own. Separate place, away from you, away from your kids, away from your parents, In and the building. In the building.
0: Our goal would be to end their addictions by treating them with sobriety services and
3: a wealth of other services. But they
4: would be what Kat able to- and later the other neighbors hear is to- that Pathways of Hope wants to give drug addicts a safe place to shoot up. What got lost here? What the Pathways employee was trying to explain to Kat is a concept called harm reduction. The idea is if you can't get someone to stop using drugs, maybe at least you can minimize the damage they do to themselves and others. For example, giving out clean needles to heroin addicts so that they don't share used needles and spread disease. It is definitely controversial, but proponents say it saves lives. At some point during Kat's conversation with the Pathways women, she makes it clear her mind is made up.
1: I'm working diligently against your cause. I'm handing out flyers. No, no, I know who you are. I'm one of the biggest resistance in this neighborhood. We don't want this here. We want you out of our neighborhood. We don't want your paperwork. We know what you're about.
4: The Pathways employees try to make an exit.
1: And if you don't mind, we'd like to end the conversation here, and we'd be happy to have you at our community meeting. You're dedicated to destroying a clean neighborhood. You're telling, you told me you want someone to have the safety to shoot up in their own safety. And then they're going to be free to come out to a school. That's insane. That's It's insane. You're not making sense. You don't have an answer. You guys don't think clearly. Your cause is... Diluted. These people don't want help. I interview them. I interview them. They okay. don't want help.
0: Can I? So I'm Michael. And this is No, you can't. Me you can't me. ask my name. That's fine. That's
1: fine. I don't. I understand. I, everybody knows who I am. If you don't, you're way behind in the times. You don't. Well, we'll see you at our community meetings. We're gonna know how to continue. Yeah. Okay. Good luck.
4: At the next stop on the tour, things get even worse for David's case. The Doria Apartments are on a quiet street in the city of Irvine, with newly planted trees and green hedges. We park our cars and meet in the lobby, which has high ceilings and a fancy chandelier. In the courtyard behind, there's a pool surrounded by lounge chairs. I was impressed at how upscale it looked, but it turns out this is not a selling point for the Fullerton neighbors. For some of us, the lobby is where the Doria tour ends the management prohibits recording. I hear Kat say into her phone, this is a crock of You should
1: be upset, Fullertonians, you should be upset.
4: Kat and Cherry walk out in protest.
2: The one thing that we're asking from these people is to be honest and transparent with us. And this is a clear example of them not. And I'm, I'm tired and I'm fed up, and I'm, I'm about ready to cry because I'm so hurt and devastated over what's happening to our community. My husband worked hard for that house and we just want to feel safe and they want to take that away from us. <laughs> Safety now we is, 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 is no longer what should just be given to us. Now we have to, we have to fight to be safe. Man, if only my grandma was alive to see this.
4: Sherry is not alone in feeling this way. I had heard other neighbors say they don't feel safe in their homes anymore either. Sherry told me that a stranger had recently walked into a neighbor's home at night and asked to use the shower. Another neighbor told me a man had screamed at her in her driveway and tried to open her car door while she was inside. The neighbors are scared, and they're tired of feeling vulnerable because people they don't know are sleeping in their front lawns and behind their back fences. These are both actual situations I'd heard about. But... Those unhoused people want to feel safe too. And from what I had learned about permanent supportive housing, it's the best tool we have to fix this stuff. And yet the neighbors are just not buying that it's a solution. The only solution they seem to want is for people experiencing homelessness to go somewhere else. By the tour's third stop, a place called The Orchard, I'm pretty sure all the neighbors here understand what permanent supportive housing is. But even that group I had pegged as middle-of-the-road, maybe even convincible, they just do not seem convinced. I called Stephanie after the tour to see how she was feeling.
3: We know permanent supportive housing is, you know, is what experts think is the best way to keep people off the street. But it bothers me that our taxpayer dollars are paying for these people to live with amending these like a pool, stainless steel appliances, granite countertops walk-in closets, movie night, et cetera, and they never have to work. They never have to stop taking drugs or treat their addictions. They don't even have to take medication or see a psychiatrist for mental disorders. You know, it makes me wonder why I work so hard, you know, and tell my kids they need to go to school and, and do well for themselves and everybody's getting all these things for free. It's, it's frustrating.
4: I already knew that Stephanie didn't want David's project in her neighborhood. By the way, she's continued to publicly oppose it in the years since I reported this story. But after this tour, she seemed skeptical of the concept of permanent supportive housing itself. She also had an alternative idea for the land where David wanted to build the project. She and her husband had been lobbying city council to let him move his nutritional supplements company there instead. In other words, they wanted to buy the land. thought David's job would be to convince the undecideds. But after the tour, I was starting to wonder whether that group even existed. It kind of seemed like everyone had already made up their minds.
0: That's Jill Replogle, who reported and wrote this season of the podcast Imperfect Paradise from our friends at LA Studios. If you subscribe to the podcast, you can hear how the battle over permanent supportive housing in Fullerton continues as David Galanders tries a different strategy, rallying his supporters.
3: Community, I want you to be allies of ours, and this is a need we have. This is not just an ask. There's homeless people already in our backyard, so to me, let's give them a place to live. And you'll hear from current
0: and formerly unhoused people about what they think can solve the problem.
3: These are all low-income apartments, and that's what Pathway of Hope is trying to do, not build a shelter in your neighborhood.
1: It's hard to get back on your feet again. It is. It's very, very hard.
0: Imperfect Paradise is a production of LAS Studios. Emily Garin is the senior producer, editor, and fact checker. Additional editing by Sofia Polisa Carr, Suzanne Levy, and Antonia Cerejido. Mixing and original music by E. Scott Kelly. Antonia Cerejido and Leo Gomez are the executive producers for LAS Studios. The California Report Magazine is a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Victoria Mauleon is our senior editor. Susie Racho is our producer director, and our sound engineer is Brendan Willard. Our team also includes Amanda Font and Izzy Bloom. And I'm Sasha Coca. This is the California Report Magazine. Your state, your stories.